Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. My name is Peter, and I'm the pastor here at St. Andrews. Just want to extend a welcome to you. And of course, a happy Mother's Day to you as well. Uh, in my household, it's been the subject of conversation recently uh, because uh, at, at Glory's Preschool, my four-year-old, she gets a questionnaire that goes out to every four-year-old child so that they can answer honestly a list of questions uh, that is then handed to a father uh, to celebrate fathers and then to a mother to celebrate mothers. And there's one really cruel question at the very end, which is, uh, who do you like more <laughs> uh, in your family? Who do you like your father better than? Okay. So it's a very clear ranking right now in four-year-old Glory's mind who she likes the most, and it's written on paper. Now, uh, it's acceptable that when it was handed out uh, during Father's time that I outranked her brother uh, as, as somebody she liked more, but I, I'm a little, a little miffed right now that mom made it to the top of the list. Uh, but, of course, completely understandable that mom gets to win that one. Uh, and uh, we want to celebrate all mothers today. Uh, your sacrifice and service, uh, it's, it's really how can we quantify what it means for a loving mother uh, to care for her children. And uh, I know also in this season that there's a way by which we're reminded of our own mothers and the relationship that's there sometimes that's really healthy and positive, sometimes not so much, or we're reminded of the absence of a wonderful relationship that's now gone. We want to acknowledge all of that here today for you. Um, I also want to just extend to you that if you feel like uh, there's something missing there, one of the things that I know that's so beautiful about uh, what it means to be a church family is that, that this is what we can do for each other as a spiritual family that there are so many wonderful mothers, grandmothers that are part of this church, and that's one of the offerings that we have here at St. Andrews. For anybody who wants to have a relationship like that, um, you can come talk to me. I can refer you to so many wonderful women at this church that love, care, mentor, support beyond even their, their nuclear family to the larger, broader family here at the church. I know that because I get blessed by it constantly. I'm so thankful for so many of you that provide that kind of love and care to my kids and to me and to Katie and I. And so just so thankful for what mothers mean, the gift of mothers. And so I hope that you're being celebrated today and that uh, you, you really understand uh, the joy of the Lord. Uh, that he has as he watches you give and serve and love and care the way that you do. So with that, let me pray. We'll dive into God's word this morning. Lord Jesus, uh, we pray that you would uh, continue to be with us now. Would you uh, minister to us? Or would you show us what is uh, your will for our time of learning in the scriptures, and, and how we can step into obedience in light of your word. I pray that uh, you would fill us again with your Holy Spirit so that we might be renewed, 
that we might be convicted, uh, that we might be given hope, um, and that we can uh, give our burdens over to you and instead take your joy. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to be in John chapter 10 this morning. You can follow along on the screen or you get a pew Bible or if you have your own. I'm going to be starting in verse 22, going to verse 30. It says this, Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I want to just speak plainly this morning about some pretty simple and yet challenging words that are coming from this section of Scripture. Before I do, I just want to remind us that uh, in the church calendar, we're in what's known as Eastertide. Uh, the 50 days that are leading to what's known as Trinity Sunday in June and then to Pentecost. And it's a season in the life of the church where we reflect on the joy of the resurrection. Uh, that what Jesus has done on Easter is now uh, our concentration, our meditation, our focus in this season. As in Lent, some of you may be familiar with where we look upon our sin and our grief over death and uh, the consequences of sin in the world that now in Easter tide, it's our job to focus on joy. How can we have joy? How can we stay connected to Jesus uh, regardless of what our emotional ups and downs are um, that may go in both directions and each day has enough trouble of its own, but how, can, how do we stay focused on the joy of the Lord that's made possible by staying connected to Jesus? I mean, so I want that to be the context by which I explore this text with you this morning. And the first verse that I want us to look at uh, is verse 27, where Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Simply put, church is about putting the things that Jesus said into practice and I want to help us this morning to put this teaching into practice. How do we connect to Jesus? How do we hear our good shepherd's voice? And so it's easy to say, believer, disciple, that you should uh, listen to Jesus' voice and follow in his footsteps. But if we're honest, I think there's ways by which we can all learn either to on-ramp for the first time into hearing 
the voice of the good shepherd, Jesus, or to learn in more full and robust ways all of the ways that Jesus wants to communicate to us? And then what happens when we actually hear the voice of Jesus and how do we harness and control and implement what he's saying into our lives? Um, And then what is the benefit of hearing the voice of our good shepherd? So those are the things that I want to explore with you today. So the first thing that I want to do just commend to you that if you feel challenged when I say hearing the voice of Jesus to start conducting simple experiments. I've got one picture here to just kind of give you a visual image of this as well. You may know this image, right? This is one we learn about in school. That's Benjamin Franklin. Uh, He's out there conducting an experiment because he knows that there's power out there, electric power, And he's trying to figure out how to harness all that power and get access to it. Don't recommend this one, right? Taking a kite out into the sky with a key upon it. um, I'm sure that didn't lead to a comfortable realization of the power that's out there. But Benjamin Franklin, right, he, he ran a number of experiments. Uh, When you want something bad enough, if you want to know something, you want to know the truth of something enough, you're not just going to try it once and kind of half-heartedly and then say, okay, well, I tried that, didn't work, and now I've given up. And I wonder sometimes if uh, part of our discipleship uh, issue when I talk about hearing the voice of Jesus is that we've maybe gave it a try once or twice felt kind of awkward, didn't really go the way that we had hoped or that we had seen in our friends or people that we admire, and so we just kind of stopped. We gave up thinking that that was something that was possible for us. And what I want to commend to you today is just an on-ramp. I want to on-ramp you. I want to commission you to take some experiments. Um, Even if you feel good about hearing the voice of Jesus, I think there's ways by which you can still develop and, and create new uh, experiences with Jesus. And so you can always continuously experiment. Uh, experiment could look as simple as going out uh, when you have just a moment of free time and sitting out there on the cliffs by the ocean and just repeating this phrase right here, thinking about this text where Jesus says, my sheep know my voice, and just say, Jesus, you said your sheep uh, know your voice. I want to know your voice. Uh, Would you speak to me? And don't feel like you need to add a lot of words. I don't feel like you need to say a whole lot. Just go out there and conduct the experiment. Um, And and it may feel uncomfortable at times, uh, but don't give up. Keep experimenting because there's different ways that Jesus might speak to you. For some of you uh, who are maybe more action-oriented, what you need to do is go and and serve. And in light of serving, you might begin to feel that Jesus is present in your service um, and and you're caring for somebody else. And then it's learning how to acknowledge and understand the ways by which Jesus is with you in that moment uh, as, you're, as you're thinking of others. Uh, maybe you're creative and uh, you like to create things and 
there's this way in which you get ideas and you don't really know where they come from and what that's about. And so it's about learning. It's about developing. Try these things. Be creative. Go out there and try and listen. Pray the prayers. Serve and discover if there's something there where you're feeling connected to the Lord. And, and run these experiments. Read the scriptures and just try and live one verse within the scriptures. Don't do it all in one day. Just do run an experiment. I'm going to try this today. Um, and by living that one verse, the hope is that you would taste and see, as the psalmist says, that the Lord is good, that it would give you an appetite for running these experiments and that those experiments would then develop into something more, something more significant in your life. And then you can start to begin to build uh, on the power, the resurrection power that is made possible because of Jesus Christ. And once you do that for a while, there's another teaching that I think is important, uh, one that my wife gave to me a while back. I have another image to help us to think about this. Um, this is from the X-Men series. Maybe you know it. Maybe you don't. Either way, it's all right. Uh, this is a guy named Cyclops, okay, and, uh, you know, all the X-Men have mutant powers, and the, really their jobs to harness their powers to do something good with them, right? Cyclops' issue is that he's got all this energy coming out of his eyes, right, and it's really destructive. Uh, all this power, too much power, and, it, and it's coming out all over the place so that nobody can be around him or near him without getting destroyed, um, and so one day, I was in a conversation with my wife, who happens to be a therapist, and uh, we're talking about how, uh, you know, how hard it is sometimes to be a sensitive person. I find to be a sensitive person, and, you know, you feel very affected by the struggles of other people, by the struggles of the world, and there's a way by which that sensitivity can just kind of, like, cause all this destruction if it's not focused, Right, and put in the right place. And so my wife gave me this wonderful picture of Cyclops, believe it or not, who has these glasses that can take the, the superpower, right, the sensitivity thing that's difficult, but then if you could figure out how to focus it, um, like Cyclops has, he's got those glasses so he could be around other people, and then he presses a button when he needs to use the power, but other times he's harnessed that. And I, I use this image because there is a way by which as we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and we begin to access the power that Jesus makes possible, that we need to grow in equal measure in maturity and character. Um, and that, that as we operate in our giftedness and we discover our life in Jesus, that one of the things that can happen is that we can sort of have an access to a power that we're not being responsi responsible with. And so we have to grow in our discipleship and our understanding of character. Uh, we actually sang about this verse uh, just previously, but Romans 3, uh, 5, 3 through 5 says this. But not only so, speaking of resurrection power, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. So when we're in Easter tide, when we're living in light of the resurrection, our sufferings even are re 
uh, characterized and re-understood in light of that hope that says, no, that as we're developing, even as we experience suffering and difficult things, what that's producing in us is character. And that character is important, uh, that, that God will, will entrust us with his Holy Spirit, and that as we develop in character and understand the sufferings, those things go alongside together so we don't end up in situations, honestly, where we're saying, well, God told me this to somebody else who we're in a disagreement with, and that shuts the conversation down to the point where that person is now hurt because you just told them, thus saith the Lord, and you've done it in a way where they can't speak or be acknowledged or understood, and now we're using our power to hear from Jesus to hurt somebody else. Right? And we could probably think of other ways in which uh, our ability to know Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit can go sideways if we're not also developing the character that goes along with that. And then finally, let's just talk about the end result of the experiment that's possible if you run this experiment. And I, I think we just have a simple image here. Uh, just this idea of flipping the switch, right? That once you develop the skill, you've run the experiments, you're developing the character, the hope is that once you get into a place of darkness, that your instinct isn't to just be overcome by the darkness or to go with the flow, but it's actually to go, how do I enter into this space, the dark space, and I can flip a switch and I can bring the light into a dark space. And all of a sudden, I'm going in a different direction because I'm connected to Jesus. I hear his voice, and I'm walking in his will and his way. I'm following after him as a good student who's trying to learn and discern who Jesus is. And, and we see this, right? This is one of John's big ideas that he says right at the beginning. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's really the nature of who Jesus is and what he's uh, given the church, by the power of his Holy Spirit. One of my favorite mom images of this, maybe you know it from uh, like church history, is Susanna Wesley, uh, who was the mother of John and Charles Wesley. John Wesley, who had such a huge impact on the historical church through his ministry. And then Charles, who also had a huge impact mainly through hymns that were written through the church. But Susanna uh, was the one who really had this faithful witness and testimony to her boys and to all of her children. Actually, there were uh, two of ten that she had. And one of the famous stories that they would tell is that their mother would, uh, in, in all of the chaos of ten children, right, uh, spend time by putting a bed sheet over her head. And in, while she's under that bedsheet hiding, she would have prayer and devotion. And so all the chaos would be going on around her, but she was so in prayer and, and, and knew that she needed that prayer that that left a mark on her two boys who went on to change the church. I can think of ways in which my own mom, just seeing her little journals and prayer books and not thinking much of that when I was uh, a young child, but over time to realize that uh, my mother's devotional life really taught me something about what it means to be a parent. 
that she wasn't doing that just for herself to get some alone time, but she knew that she was headed into diapers and balancing a career, and she was going to have to deal with Peter's mood swings and uh, all the things that went into being a parent. And so she needed to be with Jesus because that was a way for her to generate a love and a care that wouldn't otherwise be possible. That's flipping the switch. I'm so thankful for so many mothers that have their version of that, the meet challenges and self-sacrifice in ways that men really can't understand. Uh, and, and they do that because they want to be a light. They want to be a light to their children, and then that light goes and extends out further. And when this is happening, I think this is what Jesus is describing when he's talking about eternal life. Uh, that when he's saying that you have the ability to join with me and in joining with me, what becomes accessible to you is an eternal life, an eternal life with me. And there was a conversation going on in Jesus' time about what eternal life meant. And they really understood it as uh, the present age and the age to come. And they were looking for a Messiah. They were wondering uh, who was going to usher in this age to come, this age of eternal life? And you saw in our text that there's a debate going on. In fact, the Pharisees in our text are trying to trap Jesus, and they're trying to get him to admit that he's the Messiah. And they're doing that not out of good intention, but out of bad intention that they want him to admit that so that then they can go get him in trouble and get him put to death. They don't want him on the scene anymore because he's threatening what they have going. And this is a good uh, teaching to us as well uh, because we can see in our own life that there are ways by which uh, we can elevate a religious acts over relationships. Right? This is what's really happening here. That by the Pharisees wanting to live by the letter of the law and continue in the religious acts, that what they're missing is the present relationship with Jesus that's right in front of them. And the eternal relationship, you can see here, is described in all relational language. That Jesus says that he's connected to the Father and that, that somehow, because he's connected to the Father, that then his sheep are in their hands together, holding, protecting, caring for, loving. That somehow all Christian disciples are in the grip of Jesus. That he will do anything for them. And this should, I think, confront uh, in just a simple way, something we probably have heard before but can always use a reminder about is how we live in light of the teachings of Scripture and here at church. And we could just assess, do we do the things uh, that we do here at church and in Christian discipleship out of guilt or out of joy? Right, because I could stand up here and give you a list of oughts that you ought to do that come from the scriptures, and those would all be accurate uh, th behaviors, good values, good things to do, right behaviors. But if 
you walked away and you knew what you were uh, supposed to do, but you didn't know how to do it, then we would still be missing the point. That if I made you feel bad and just guilted you, as I think some uh, are in the habit of doing, unfortunately, and maybe we all can fall into at times, I would give you what you ought to do and you would know that, but you wouldn't know how to do it. And you would actually end up doing some behaviors that probably would make you think that if I do these things, if I just do these right things, then I get this relationship. But that's not what we see happening here. That's not Jesus' teaching here. You see, what we saw here is the reason we get to be with Jesus, it says, is because God gave us to Jesus. That, that God's gift to Jesus was us. And so I want to remind us again what that can mean for us as we think about our spiritual lives, as we look ourselves in the mirror and reflect on who we are in light of what Easter uh, means. And I just want to repeat this. This is the second time uh, from last week I said it as well, but I just want you to get this image so that when you look at yourself, you see this. Uh, this is from Colossians 3.3. It says, Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And Paul takes this image up, this idea of being in Christ, and he writes all over his epistles about this idea of being in Christ. And these are the things that he says are possible. He says that you can become a conduit of Christ's blessing, of the Father's blessing, excuse me, in Ephesians 1.3. Then it says that if you're in Christ, you're connected to the one that reveals the mystery of the Father's will. In Ephesians 1.9. And then in Ephesians 1.10, it says that if you're in Christ, that you can be part of the unifying of all things, the reconciling of all things. Now, that's a very different place to be operating out of than a place of guilt. Um, that's a place where all of a sudden, what's animating you looks so different. Just this gift the understanding that you are a gift given to Jesus and that Jesus, by his death on the cross, has forgiven you and by him rising again has made it possible for you to have new life and so that you are covered and hidden in him. And to operate out of that place is to change a lot. Another thing that it changes, just as a final point here, uh, was given as I was reading a book actually that I read last week by Paul Parker Palmer called Let Your Life Speak. He talks about functional atheism. found this to be a very helpful teaching. He says this, functional atheism, the belief that ultimate responsibility for everything rests with us. This is the unconscious, unexamined conviction that if anything decent is going to happen here, that we are the ones who are going to make it happen. We are the ones who will take the burden. 
dysfunctional atheism, right? It's not a conscious thing. We may actually know the right words to say and the things to think, but the weight of that emotional burden, the weight that we can say in function, as I wake up in the morning, what I'm going to do is get to work as soon and as fast as possible because this relies on me and me alone, and I'm going to make it happen. And if I don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. Instead of an approach to each and every day that is a reminder that you are hidden with Christ. And this desire to stay connected to who Jesus is in relationship so that you don't get so caught up in everything else that you're going to do in that day that you miss the most important thing. And really, one of the ways we might talk about this is how Ezra talks about it as he's rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem, as he's commissioning uh, this great group to rebuild. He just says, the joy of the Lord should be your strength. The thing that you're going out to do your day uh, that animates you and motivates you is really this joy. And it's a reciprocal joy. In fact, there's texts in Scripture where it says that we can give heaven joy. When one repentant sinner, uh, when one sinner repents, then it says that all heaven is rejoicing. That we live in a community together and we share and love the love of Jesus Christ with one another, that there's a way in which uh, that joy is echoed in heaven and understood and given again. And again, and again, and again, and again. And I don't want you to miss out on any of that. And I don't want to miss out on it either. So I want to invite you again to just do some experimenting. To just on-ramp. You don't have to have it all figured out so much as you have to go, okay, I'm going to spend a little bit of time this week trying to be with Jesus and get connected. And if you're willing to do that, may you understand that you can lay down all guilt, all sense of duty and obligation and burden and strife and anxiety and hopelessness and darkness. And instead, may you discover that it could be replaced by this sense that you understand why you are here, why you are facing the task that you're facing, why you're living in the season that you're living in, why the people around you are there to be with you and to frustrate you but to also grow you, and why you're in this space known as the church where the voice of Jesus has drawn you and desires to speak to you more. And maybe it's as simple as when we sing these songs or we hear the text or the sermon or we pray that we get out of our heads so much and we don't have to analyze every last bit and we just go, okay, I'm going to do an experiment. What happens if I lean in? What happens if I lean in and trust that Jesus has something that he wants to say to me today? Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, you would 
uh, make it clear that you would speak, Lord, to all those whose hearts are open to hear uh, your teaching, to have you ask the right question, to remind of your delight and love and care, to give encouragement. And I pray that we would manage all of this faithfully. 